Welcome to the Good Money Habits podcast, where we marry financial education with tips from the experts on how to develop good money habits. Knowing what your options are around your finances is one thing, how to translate the knowledge into action for results is quite another. We're all about helping others take steps to gain financial stability, to live a better life. This podcast is brought to you by Lighthouse Capital. It is important to understand that today's episode is of general nature and doesn't take into account your personal objectives, financial situations or needs and may not be appropriate for you. Welcome to Good Money Habits. This is Julia Shortinghouse. I have to admit I feel like a bit of a kid in a candy shop this morning and really excited for two reasons. Not only am I going to be digging into a topic I've been itching to get into for some time, being investment bonds, but I also have the opportunity to explore this today with one of our greats. To help me unravel and dig into investment bonds, I am delighted to share that I'm joined on the line by Grant Hackett, OAM. Grant, welcome and thanks for joining me today. G'day, Julia. No, it's great to be on board. Thanks for having me. No, I really appreciate it. And I've been giving a lot of thought about how best to introduce you today. And naturally, you certainly need no introduction as a triple Olympic gold medalist, former captain of the Australian swim team, recipient of the Medal of the Order of Australia, and you've also been inducted into the Sport Australia Hall of Fame. And whilst your identity is always going to be inextricably linked to your Olympic swimming career, What's really struck me on the occasions that we've met is that, if I can say, you've almost been almost disarmingly down to earth um, and given your achievements and background, um, it felt to me right to introduce you as I know you and that is as the CEO of Generation Life. So what the, what the listeners um, may not be aware of is that you also hold a double degree in commerce and law and an executive M- MBA with first class honours and the diploma in financial services. You certainly don't do things by halves, do you? <laughs> that's, a, that's the trouble. And my family always tells me to slow down and maybe do something in halves, but it's just unfortunately not my personality, to be honest. No, it's certainly not in your DNA, that's for sure. Um, but before we get started on exploring investment bonds, something that I'm always really curious about is what leads people to be doing what they do. And, and in this instance, I'm especially curious, and I suspect the listeners are too. So reflecting, Grant, on your career transition, I can only imagine the pressure you would have felt with people having such high expectations of you. So can I ask how you managed that transition from Olympic swimmer to now be a highly successful CEO in financial services? It's, it's, it's a really interesting journey. And, um, and, and look, you learn as you go, like most things in life. But unfortunately, when you're in a situation that I was in, um, a lot of people are, are looking at that journey and judging that journey. And you have to prove yourself. And, and even today, you know, people will come up to me on the street and they'll talk about my swimming career and ask what I do now. And I explain what I do and they get, they get quite blown away because they expected you to just retire and maybe sit on the sidelines and, and, and enjoy life. But um, as you alluded to in your introduction, it's just not my personality to, to operate like that. And, you know, for me, when I came out of my sporting career, um, my dad always said to me as an athlete, you retire to something, not from something as an athlete, because you need a strong sense of purpose in life. And if you're retiring at a young age, regardless financially of how well you might have done throughout your sporting career, you need to be able to pursue other things that you're passionate and driven about. And so I've always, that's always stuck with me. 
And um, and even as I've gotten older, I realize how important that is. That's kind of dad just giving advice at the time. And now I'd realize how material that advice actually is. And and so for me, when I, I left swimming, the, the really interesting thing is uh, I went into banking straight away. I actually sat down many, many years before with the heads of Westpac Bank and Macquarie Bank at the time. And and said, you know, this is what I'd like to do. What should I, you know, study? What the pathway should be? And then, um, you know, retired and then went straight into banking literally three weeks later. So, so I did a lot of preparation work to make sure I was well positioned to be able to transition. And it's really funny because in, you know, the sport of swimming, I was known, um, quite well around the world for that and what I achieved there. And you're kind of the, the global CEO and what you do in that sport. And then all of a sudden, you rock up to, to Collins Street in Melbourne on a Monday morning and you're not the best at the table. Yeah. And um, I kind of sat back and I went, wow, that's a, it's just, I'm in an interesting spot right now. And I'd, I'd spent a whole lifetime refining that particular skill set over, over here. But this one, I, I'm starting again. And, and I think for me, as soon as I made that realization, um, instead of letting my ego get in the way of it all, what I focused on was, what I did when I was like 13 or 14 or 15, what goals did I put in place? How did I meet those goals? What were the processes? And, um, and I started to instill those, those same behaviors in, in banking at the time. And, um, and it was really funny. I, I was always jealous of the people that were working in banking. And this might sound like a really odd thing because I thought, oh, they've been out of uni for six or seven years longer than me. They've got a head start on me. Damn it. You know, I'm a competitive person. Um, and then I realized you can catch the pack quick when you're focused. Yeah. And you can pass the pack even quicker if you're super focused. And and I kind of just made that determination. And I also saw in, in work, which was very different from the sporting environment, that I was on a team of 41 people going to the Olympics or world champs or com games and you know names that we all know like Ian Thorpe. And, and everyone was trying to be the world's best. Even the physiotherapist on our team was trying to be the world's best physiotherapist on our team. And you, and you move into to a different career and you realize a lot of people are just there to get by and to be mediocre and they're happy and there's nothing wrong with people wanting to have that standard within their life. That's certainly their choice, but it wasn't the way I operated. And I kind of made that decision early on in my business career. I thought I can either be the type of individual here if I become a manager or get a, a leadership opportunity that I can either choose to try and bring people up and pull something out of themselves that they didn't know they were capable of or I can come down to the pack and when the bell goes at five o'clock, I can go home with everybody else. Well, and, that was never going to happen obviously, with you. <laughs> no, it was, it, it was never going to happen, but I made a conscious decision because I, I realized in business, more than sport, you need more people around you to be successful. So you've actually got to make that choice to either bring them up, move them out or come down to them. And, uh, and I know which decision I, I, I made and I, and I even try and refine and learn more about that as I, as I continue to grow within my role right now. Yeah, and I think that continuous learning journey is something that, you know, I really believe in as well. And it's interesting to listen to you. It's hard to imagine you being jealous of anyone in that situation. But I love, <laughs> I love, I love the fact that you drew back on what you had, the processes you went through as a child um, to develop yourself mm. as a swimmer. And I think that that really is translatable. I must admit, I did listen to a couple of the podcasts you did with Tim um, Farris and you did the Howie Games. And, and on that, um, I did hear you share that advice from your dad around retiring to something and not from something and that really resonated for me as well I just think that's just such brilliant advice and I guess as a financial planner 
um, what we tend to see is people often think about uh, retirement in the, in the traditional sense as a kind of end point rather than a starting mm. point of something new, um, which is kind of the journey you went through but much earlier in life in a different way. And um, many we find that many clients can be um, unexpectedly... I guess find it a harder transi- transition than they thought it might be, and and some even return to work because they haven't really thought about what life looks like on the other side. So, that concept of retiring to something is brilliant, and I think really highly relevant. So, thanks for sharing that. It's it, it's really really important, and what people don't understand is these kind of like key inflection points or moments in life that you actually have, right? And and there's a few of them, and they're quite distinct, and we all know them, but we don't realise the impact of them until we go through them, and. You know, as an athlete, your identity, like everyone knows me as this, as, you know, Olympic champion or swimmer or athlete. And it's like, I've been doing that since I was four. So that's what I was always associated with. And then all of a sudden, you have other transitions in life, like divorce. Like that for me was the most unprepared thing. I, I, I couldn't imagine um, how to prepare for something like that. And then there's retirement or then there's kids leaving home. And then there's there's all these sort of key transitions in life that you have that, are really difficult to prepare for, but there are some you can do better than others. I think from sport to business or whatever it might be, you can be from, you know, 40 years of work into retirement, you can do that transition well. You've got a lot of runway there where you can see it coming. So you're spot on, but you need to be prepared for it. And the more prepared you are, the more you can not only just survive through it, you can actually enjoy it. That's right. And I think uh, just reflecting on it as a financial plan is something that I always feel is, uh, to be honest, an absolute privilege is, you know, the trust that people um, have in us and and the the trust that our clients place in us. And really, for me, it is through those key life transitions that our work can really come to the fore where we really can support and help people through those moments. Mm. And I just say that because I don't know that people think about financial planners in that way. They think of us maybe as being more technically orientated or thinking about the mathematical Mm. side, the strategic strategic side but there's far more to it and for me that's you know a key role that we can play and interesting that you mentioned the divorce one because I um, interviewed a, a colleague of mine I don't know if, don't know if you know Donna Lee Powell she's brilliant and um, when I said to her what are we going to talk about she said we're, we're going to talk about divorce and I thought okay we're going to go there <laughs> um, you know fraught with <laughs> emotion but, <laughs> yeah exactly but but you know so important as you said and some things are harder to prepare for than others and I'd suggest that's certainly one of them um, but I thought that was, you know, she was brilliant um, in, in her guidance and her advice around that. And, and you're spot on, Julia, because the, the big thing is that people don't really appreciate is the fact that when it comes to financial advice, because I'm such a big believer in financial advice and planning, because I think when it comes to finance and, and the way the world works and money flows and, you know, contracting interest rates, different funds that you can invest in, different parts of you know, life stages and retirement and getting a house or an investment property, it is so complex. It, it is like, if you know, it's like being English and trying to talk Japanese and never hearing a Japanese word in your life. So I believe in financial advice so much. You need to be able to talk that language. Um, and it's really confronting for people. But what I love about the role of the financial advisor is the fact that you could sit there with a couple in the room that have been married for 15 years and say, what are your goals? And 70% of them are different. You know oh, what I mean? Like without you've, a actually, doubt. <laughs> you've improved a marriage on the spot. You know yeah. what I mean? And align people. So there's there's just so much more to it. That the money is the catalyst for so many other things that really matter to you in your life. Yeah, I um, was presenting out in the wheat belt yesterday and we were talking about that and I was saying how 
um, you know, we before people get married, often people have marriage counselling. You know, I'm a strong believer that we should also have financial counselling and to mm. get people to think about, you know, what was money like growing up for them in their household because it would rarely mm. be the same journey. And what we know is that it's our early life experiences that really set how we think and feel and act around money. Um, so I think if we yep. could um, do a bit more work early on um, for people in relationships, maybe we could have a bit of a go at, um, you know, dropping the rate of divorce in Australia. Who knows? Because it is the leading cause. We know that is financial strain. So it's a really oh, absolutely, absolutely. That's where it all breaks down. I mean, it's, it's, as soon as people become come under financial stress, we see the worst of that character riot. And um, obviously, the person closest to you often sees the brunt of that. And if your financial situation is dire, and particularly what the world's been through in the last few years with so much uncertainty and stability, certain industries just falling off the cliff, like what that's done to relationships is things that can't ever be repaired again. And, and money forms the foundation of that. It's like money is not the goal, but money is a, is a catalyst to be able to, to live your life to a standard that you deserve and, and that you should you should have and to look after your family and send your kids to the school that you want to and create opportunities for your kids that you didn't get yourself. So it's such an important conversation that is constantly overlooked. It's like this secondary or third sort of, you know, priority when it should be up the top because it filters into everything else you do and every other decision-making process. It does, and we don't, you know, learn enough about it at school. We generally don't talk about it at home. So, yeah, you're, you're right. It's um, it's one of those things that I would love to get the conversation happening and getting people thinking about it a bit more. I feel like we could talk about that all day, actually, but we've got some uh, ground to cover, Grant, so I might circle back. And, um, and just thinking about your career change, can I ask why you chose to specialise in investment bonds in particular? No, it, it was funny. I was always um, interested in finance. So the, the big thing for me was um, going into the world of banking, finance, investment. So I always loved that. So I, I used to, you know, jump on and trade shares as a, as, a, as a teenager. I was always interested in stocks. I was always, always interested in commerce and how transactions work. So it was kind of a world that I was just broadly fascinated with. And then, you know, my career started out and in banking and went into the investment side and banking, even the insurance side um, within financial services. And then I went full circle around to, to investment bonds and it's kind of an interesting journey because the person that I was working for at the time, so, you know, we all know the, the, the big banking brand. So I was working for Westpac slash BT, which, you know, BT is the investment management arm of Westpac. And I was working for the CEO of the, that side of the business. And it was many, many moons ago, like literally years before we got into this business, we were talking about investor bonds and we were saying, God, they're, they're underutilized. Like people just don't understand them. They don't take much up in, you know, financial planning, um, you know, teaching or tutorials or education. And we were, just talking about how good that would be if there was changes to superannuation because we were looking at the super sister growing at a rapid rate, you know, extremely wealthy people putting all their money inside that really, you know, 15% tax structure, which they'd be mad not to, to do and getting close to preservation age. And we just thought, well, there will be changes there one day. And we thought we'd love to, to go into a business where there would be a great growth opportunity with a product that really is underutilized or, or not really understood. Um, eventually, back in um, 2017, he ended up personally buying, because we're a listed company, um, almost 10% of the business and came in and took over as executive chair. And I kind of got the phone call along with a few other people that used to work closely with him. And he said, look, you know, I'm in this business now. We want to rebrand it. We want to restructure, you know, the, the, the investment menu, the technology. 
everything that we're doing around it with the team and the sales and the marketing, would you be interested? And I'm like, oh, hell yeah, you know, this is a great opportunity. There's been a huge regulatory change with the captain's superannuation. There's a whole heap of limitations that we thought would come there. We were always surprised the Liberal government did that. We probably thought a Labor government would make that sort of yeah, exactly. you know, degree of tax changes, mm. particularly when we saw Bill Shorten and Chris Bowen and the tax reforms that they had coming into the last federal election. So, you know, it, it, it was always something that was going to be on the agenda and, and finally those changes happened and this was the most tax-effective structure outside of super and, and we're investment agnostic. We People invest in whatever asset class they want to. We're like super. We're a legal structure then you choose your investment and so we, we got into um, to that space and obviously we completely re-engineered the business and, and set up a new sales and marketing strategy and started to re-educate, I guess, really the financial advice um, industry on where investment bonds actually sit in the overall investment landscape for clients. And it's been an amazing journey. I've loved it because, you know, we've had big goals, big ambitions and worked with some really smart people. And, you know, the first year we were 72% up on our inflows and, you know, if I look at where we're, we're sitting today, we're doing kind of three or four times the inflows we were doing back then, and, and our growth has been kind of 20 to 30 percent CAGR compounding, you know, growth every single year. Just to for the under, uh, listeners understand that a little bit more, and yeah, the business has grown literally from back at that point in time around six to seven hundred million dollars worth of funds under management, getting closer to two billion today, and that was just three and a half years ago. So it's been a really exciting space to be working in and, and working with some great people but at the end of the day what I love what we do is we're offering some fantastic solutions and strategies for clients and their unique situations and uh, yeah we continue just to invest in it and, and, and evolve in this space. I'm not surprised um, to hear that growth that you're experiencing because I totally agree they're, they're underutilised, they're poorly understood um, but they are such an in, incredible structure to use in, in certain situations and what we're finding is that because of what you've touched on, some of those tax and legislative changes, they're far more relevant for more people than what they were and I'd like to suggest that investment bonds have also just really improved markedly from what they were say 10 years ago as well so I, wanted, mm. I want to talk about that and talk about some of the examples and the kinds of situations where it might be relevant for people. Um, but just mm. in terms of, I guess, the, the overall structure to give us a bit of a framework to work through, I thought mm. we might um, explore today in three parts, if that's okay. So let's um, sure. get into the investment bonds. When are they appropriate to use? What are the benefits, etc. But this is just too good an opportunity, Grant, for me to not also pick your brain later on about goal setting. Um, you, wanna, yeah. you are one of the most laser-focused individuals in our country, I'd argue. So... Um, <laughs> Um, let's go there. And I want to talk to you about the importance of aligning your values to your goals and, and what you think the critical success factors are. Um, and then um, just to give you a little bit of warning so you can think about it until we get there is, you know, what would be um, your top tip on managing money, um, given money management is a skill and uh, knowing what to do is important, but also with the financial um, execution sure. of it, how do you bring it to life? Does that sound okay if we do that? Yeah, no, that's great. That's all good. I'm sure I'll forget about those last two before we get there, but I'll have an answer for you. Okay, fantastic. Um, so bearing in mind that our listeners are going to be coming at this from all different levels, if we can just start in the most simplest of terms, you already mentioned that investment bonds are the next most tax-effective structure to superannuation, but can you explain mm. what an investment bond is for us? 
Yeah, so first and foremost, if you ever want to understand what an investment bond is, I would always recommend going to one of the providers um, that actually distribute this product because there's just so many misconceptions and, and, and I've actually seen stuff online where people actually don't understand the product and how it works. So be careful what you look for. That's what I always say. Mm-hmm. What an investment bond is in its most simplest form, it's a legal structure. It's just a tax legal structure exactly like superannuation. It's just got a, a certain set of rules, like superannuation has a certain set of rules. And if you think of that like a legal structure with all the underlying investments, which then are the, the investment products that you can choose from, and you can set up your own investment portfolio. So you think, oh, I like Australian equities, or I like um, global equities, or fixed interest, or whatever it might be. The same sort of thing you would do inside the superannuation, you do inside an investment bond. The key difference is we have a maximum tax rate of 30%, where super obviously has a maximum tax rate of 15%, um, but we're able to bring down our effective tax rate to the actual tax rate you end up paying to the ATO, down to to the mid-teens for a lot of our um, investment strategies now because of the way we manage the funds. So um, that's probably the most simplistic way of, of, of explaining it and the easiest comparison. And the other key aspect to it as well is the fact that it's an after-tax paying product. So you don't need to worry about going through all the, you know, your tax returns on it and doing all the bits and pieces that you would normally do for a lot of your other assets that you might invest in. It's very, very simple. It's very cost-effective. And the best comparison is superannuation because the tax rate is a little bit higher. But the big difference around that too is the fact you have full liquidity. So if you want to access your, your funds tomorrow, you can do that and, and we'll withdraw that from that fund manager and get that back into your bank account and there's no penalties um, if you choose to do that. So that's probably the most simplistic way um, to explain it. And look, every single investment vehicle that you look at, they're all legal structures, they're all legislated. You know, whether you use a company, whether you use a trust, whether you use um, superannuation and whether you use an investment bond, it's the same thing too. And in fact, it's probably one of the most stable pieces of legislation that you've seen. In fact, it's been around for decades and there's only been one change in 20 years which pegged us to the, the corporate tax rate. So, Because uh, people always worry because there's so much legislative change, particularly in superannuation, um, where the goalposts feel like they're being shifted all the time. But we're very fortunate in our space. There's been um, very little conversation around it. It's just been kind of set and forget, which, is, which has been nice because we can kind of innovate with a lot more reassurance and, and give our clients probably a little bit more reassurance in what you can in some of those other structures. And I'm expla- I'm really glad you explained that last point because that is a question we often do get asked. Um, and it's, it's interesting, I was presenting on investment bonds probably six, six months ago roughly um, and uh, one of the um, gentlemen in the um, audience who was an accountant um, was really questioning me because I was explaining the tax effective uh, <laughs> nature of the structure and he said if that was true I'd yeah. know about it and it's almost like people <laughs> kind of say you know it's a bit of a sleeper almost so you kind of think you wonder how long oh. it'll still be an option but it's really reassuring to hear from your perspective that you feel it's it's pretty stable. Oh it's it's so funny you say that because the number one thing and, I, and I've spent you know years on the road like I, I was you know around the, this pandemic I'm literally on a plane at least every second week talking about investment bonds whether it's a you know, to large practices or to, to individuals, whatever it might be. And always halfway through a presentation, someone looks at me and says, oh, this is too good to be true. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so I'm, and I'm like, no, yeah. no. I'm like, this has been around longer than my own existence. It's just that everyone used superannuation because 
super was just too attractive. I mean, preservation age was, you know, much younger. You know, people, it was baby boomers that were putting all their money in there. It was untapped. You could do as much as there was so much flexibility. Where those, those have changed now. So we're coming back to a structure that used to be the quarter the size of superannuation once. So it, it used to be quite significant, but then super changes then took the focus away from it. And now the focus has come back again, ironically, because of those changes. And just to your point, just on a, on accounts, it's quite funny because I get that all the time. And, and people say to me, why don't you go out and see, you know, every financial advisor and go out and see, you know, every single accountant out there because they should be making this part of their overall, you know, entity structures where they use bucket companies and trusts and the individual and distribute out and income split to all the individual members. And I said, I get that. And this would actually complement every single thing they're doing. Exactly. But my first kind of, you know, stage in, in, in re-educating the market on investment bonds is financial advisors because, you know, you need them to do the underlying investment strategy. So if we can get them educated, some accountants get it now, but that's kind of the next cohort of people. The other question we get too, which is really funny, is around estate planning lawyers because it's binding nominations. So mm. people use us purely for estate planning, not, not a tax arbitrage, not a low tax rate, but because you can leave this to someone, to a charity, and not one of these have ever been overturned or contested or anything like that. You can contest any asset, but it doesn't go into probate, so it doesn't form part of your estate. So if for some reason you wanted to leave $200,000 to a charity or to someone outside of the family that would normally get contested, you can do that and have 100% reassurance that that money is going to go to, to that individual or to that charity or to that legal entity. You can leave it to any legal entity. So... Um, you know, and you could have the same question from the state planning lawyer. You could sit there, well, why aren't I using these? And, and, and my answer to those people is really good question. Why aren't you? Exactly. Because your, your strategies could actually be more effective. Yeah, that's right. And the asset protection component of it is a really important part. And something that we talk oh. a lot to, you know, clients <laughs> about is, you know, the fact that um, there seems to be a misnomer that people seem to think that if you die, all of your assets go to your estate. And they don't. Yeah. Um, they don't necessarily. But, but, and investment bonds is one no. of them. No, they, they don't always go to your estate. You, you can have the investment bond go to your estate if you want to. We have a very simple online application process where you tick where you want it to go. And it's it's that simple. But it's, it's really, really funny. People don't appreciate that you can actually, you know, bypass a generation if you want to. We, we have a lot of clients that are wealthy grandparents that their children's marriages that they could be worried about or they're already divorced, but they've got a heap of grandchildren there that they want to look after, but they don't trust leaving that money to the next generation. So what they do is they set up an investment bond for their grandchildren and what we have, which is exclusive to, to Generation Life that we set up as part of our product rules, is that you can have one or multiple vesting periods. So if you don't want them to access that fund until those funds until the age of 25, you can do that. And if you don't want them to access, if it's a lot of money, that huge capital amount, you could say, well, they can have a, a maximum dollar amount or they can have up to 10% per year for X amount of years. And then I'll take those restrictions off. So you can effectively rule from the, the grave and bypass a, a, a generation. And, and also another aspect that I really love about um, uh, investment bonds and you're talking about you know risk and, and credit protection um, people don't understand that under the Bankruptcy Act that this asset is actually protected it's section 1162B of the Bankruptcy Act if, you know, for those technical minded people that want to read that sort of stuff that under that act if you've got an investment bond set up it is credit protected so if you fall into financial hardship or go into bankruptcy 
that asset cannot be touched. And it, it's so good, the, the credit protection option, that in fact, if you start taking a distribution from that um, particular asset, the, the, the investment bond, that distribution that goes into your bank account is also creditor protected as well from the, from creditors that might need to, you know, trying to get, get, get some money back off of you. So not only are you sort of bringing your tax rate down, reassuring yourself from an estate planning for you, uh, point of view, but you're protecting your money as well. And that's where you sit there with accounts and lawyers and they'd say, I'll put everything in a trust because you can't sue a trust. And they'd normally do that strategy. But this is a strategy that is protected by legislation, you know, that's, that's been set up for a very, very long time. So we've had some very high-profile individuals that have set it up purely for that creditor protection asset. Nothing to do with tax or um, estate planning, just to protect their money. And my understanding is that the courts can reach into trust, so one would argue that the investment bond protection is, is far stronger anyway. Um, and yeah, and... and uh, and, and we don't like to go out there and try and be critical of these other structures. We highlight, you know, the pros and cons, of course, but you're, you're right too, because at the end of the day, a, a trustee can, can, you know, move things around in the trust or distribute or, or do things. And then you've got to go to court and get that fixed up in retrospect where that doesn't happen with an investment bond. It's set up from the start and you can't play with it. Like it, it, it is set. You can as the bond owner before, say, a person dies, you can change the terms of that bond. But that's up to the person who's leaving the money there. So, you know, trust and, and, and other, you know, structures that you could use to be able to, to distribute your wealth or money. You're right. You're spot on, Julia. They, they can be played with and they can be contested. And I think the biggest case that we all know about that is, is the Reinhardt family. Yes, exactly. Um, you know, look at their family trust and, you know, Gina, the wealthiest person in this country, you know, you know some years or, or whatever, Anthony Pratt, whoever it might be on any given year, <laughs> yeah. you know, was trustee of, of that. You know, I think it held 23.5% of their assets for the four children. And she got removed as trustee and, and Bianca Reinhardt got put in place there because, you know, the arguments they obviously had about, about the use of the funds or what was going on there. So, you know, those things aren't as secure as what people probably are led to, to, to believe they are. That's been our experience over the years. And um, I love the fact that you touched about the gra- uh, touched on the grandchildren um, because one thing that I'm really passionate about is educating our kids. And um, lots mm-hmm. of our clients are using investment bonds as a means to start to get the kids to learn about dollar cost averaging, about compound interest, about that delayed gratification. And, and in many cases, the grandparents let the grandchildren know that money is there. Um, but something that I know a lot of um, our wealthy clients in particular um, share with us is one of their biggest concerns is their children um, either being ruined by the money or um, not mm. knowing what to do with it or not appreciating um, the value of a hard-earned dollar. Um, and investment mm. bonds are a wonderful way to start to facilitate that intergenerational wealth transfer, which we know is going to be at record levels um, in the next decade. So that's one of the the key ways that we uh, do utilise investment bonds for clients and the feedback we get is brilliant. And I have to share this with you, Grant. I was on on the line um, with a review and we have the kids' um, returns in there alongside the parents. Um, And the kids were sort of hanging around and my client said to me, Julia, please just talk to the kids first. They want to know how they went for the year and then we'll look at us. (laughs) Um, So it was was brilliant. (laughs) And it's a nice way to have that whole family conversation, right? Like everyone's kind of talking about finances and appreciating how things work. And 
and and to your point, like around just you know the dollar cost averaging, you know a lot of people don't appreciate how that works, and, and we've set that up with our facility. We call it our progressive investment facility, getting technical, but um, but it's a dollar cost averaging facility where you set up a bond, and obviously you know each month or over certain periods you continue to put money in there, so you're trying to get the average of the market right. Everyone likes to think they can pick the top of the market or the bottom of the market, but I don't know who has that crystal ball, and if you know them, please tell them to give me a call because I'd love to know. But yeah, a great way of investing <laughs> is, is dollar cost averaging. So you are averaging it through the year so you don't get too burned on a contraction and if the, uh, on, on a sharp contraction. But if the market runs, of course, you got to get that upside of the money that's already been invested. So it's a, it's a great way of doing it. But in terms of you know people starting to, to understand the time value of investing as well, mm-hmm. that's a really important part of the education process. So, you know, having multiple, you know, this is one thing I love about bonds too. People say, is it like super? You kind of set it up once and that's it, that's yours. And it's like, no, 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 you can have as many as you want. We look after some extremely wealthy families that literally have 40 or 50 different investment bonds for different purposes. Per, you know, there's one that I think has got like 23 grandchildren that it's all set up for. So um, it, it's quite remarkable, you know, how people like to use them and that, that flexibility, but that education that you can put in there with it and some of the, the product features like dollar cost averaging in there. So you can, you know, see your investment grow and compound, obviously, um, over time is it, quite remarkable. And the best thing about all that, you don't have to worry about paying the tax bill at the end of the year because we do it for you, like like in superannuation. So it's kind of the ease of the compliance is, is another big benefit too that I don't think people really completely appreciate that you don't have that hassle. We're all so busy. It's not another thing that you want to be having to do. I think at this point people are thinking this really is too good to be true, but we'll, we'll continue to plough on because we, we kind of haven't finished yet. There's more to kind of unlock and, um, and share. So... Uh, Things that I'm thinking the listeners might be wondering, what type of investments can people choose from when they invest in a bond? Um, so you can choose um, any any type of investment that sits on our investment menu, to, to, to put it um, very bluntly. Um, and what type of investments on there? Well, it has every single asset class and it has multiple options within um, every single asset class. So you can construct your whole portfolio. So... If you want Australian equities across different fund managers, you can do that. If you want global equities, you can do that. You know, Magellan's probably been the, been the big standout for the past decade um, that people uh, know, know and appreciate in our industry. There's, there's Vanguard, which is a very well-known fund, Dimensional. Um, there's fixed interest funds in there. There's cash options. No one wants those at the moment with a cash crash of 10 basis points. Next to but, nothing, yeah. You know, yeah, we, we have a whole plethora of investments um, that you can choose from and sit down with your financial advisor, given your risk profile, obviously your life stage and what's going to, and, and how much risk you obviously want to take on to, you know, ensure a good investment return. And some of the other things that, that we're doing at Generation Life to be able to increase that return. So our real value proposition is going, well, um, you know, in a market where, you know, you can't get a term deposit and make a return, even fixed interest, obviously very, very limited in terms of the, the returns that you would normally receive there. We're in a very different environment. We're going to be there for quite some time. So people are naturally taking on more risk to generate a better return or create a better yield or income within their portfolio. And, and one of the things that we've tried to focus on in the last two years is go, well, how can we actually do that and go with that theme? but not take on more risk, but reduce the tax rate so we can actually increase the return and get a better outcome for investors. And, 
And one of the things that we've done more recently is we've got this series that we rolled out towards the end of last year called the Tax Optimized Series or the Tax Aware Series, where people understand how, how shares work when they say buy banking stock and they go, yep, you know, it's 30% tax rate, you get your franking back. Um, of course, if you're paying a 30% tax rate after your franking, it's going to be, I don't know, 22 or 23% your effective tax rate. What we've been able to, to do at Generation Life is we've, we've been able to move these across to the mandate structures where with our fund managers, the people who manage the money and they still manage the money and do all the same things, is that our assets sit outside that so we can apply the investment bond tax rules across the entire um, pool of money that we manage. And one of the unique tax rules that people don't understand that we have is that we can offset a capital loss against income. Now, I'll say that again for the listeners because yeah, yeah, most people are going, if, if, mm. I, if, if I have a loss, normally I have to, my accountant says I keep that loss there until I sell that asset with a gain in it and then I can finally bring down my tax liability of that gain because of that loss I had six years ago or three years ago or whatever it might be. That doesn't happen with us. Our tax rules are actually different. Like in super, they have a different set of tax rules and so do we. And so one of the big benefits year to year managing the capital like that there's always going to be losses sitting in a portfolio. There's always going to be income generated, particularly if you're in a, you know Australian equities portfolio where they pay a lot of dividends. So you look at it and you go, how can we optimise the tax position and say use some of those losses to offset against some of that income that's coming in, not a capital gain, the income that's coming in, and offset that to bring down the overall tax rate. And so we've been able to do that, and that means some of our tax rates that have come down from that, say, you know, effective rate of around that 23%, circa 23%, have come down to the mid-teens and some, and I don't like to go too hard because you don't want to kind of oversell it, but some have come down to single digits for, for, for some of our funds, which has been quite phenomenal. So what we're trying to do for our investors now is go, well, how do we optimise our tax rules? We don't need any private rulings. There's nothing untoward. We're just playing with the existing rules that have been around for decades and decades. We're just maximising now because... Our business has innovated and grown so much more, and we're able to get a much better after-tax outcome for our investors, which means their returns have improved on an after-tax basis quite materially because of the way we've managed the capital and utilised some of the tax rules that sit inside some of these funds. So it's a really exciting place to be. Like I said, we just launched this um, at the back end of 2020, and we're seeing some incredibly good results so far. And we're going to go out to the market and articulate and advocate this a little bit more come the first half of the next financial year. So you've touched on the fact that you're effectively able to reach an effect, you know, a tax rate that's less than superannuation potentially. Yeah, well, that, that's competitive in the super mm. range. So you mm. know, getting getting into the teens, which is which is quite remarkable, and and this is for someone who can be on a forty seven percent tax rate. So. And one of the things that we have that, and again, I try not to get too technical because I know I'm trying to you know, educate people that mightn't understand the depth of finance here. But, you know, the thing is when you, you're on a 47% tax rate and you get a franking credit, right? Um, and people think the difference between what you pay in tax is the difference between the franking credit, which is, say, 30% fully franked, and 47%, right? They, so they think 17%. That seems like the natural difference. That's not your natural difference. Because you have to gross up first. You have to gross Correct. up and then you mm-hmm. take the franking off. Mm-hmm. The difference between the 30 and the 47 is 24.5% difference in tax. People are probably sitting here going, what are you talking about? <laughs> but 
the maths is very simple because yeah. you don't pay it on what you receive. You have to gross it up to the full amount and then take off the franking credit. And, and people don't appreciate these sorts of things. But with us, because our starting headline rate, like everyone knows the headline rate of superannuation is 15%, we're 30%. So we can make, and we're 30% for all of our customers, so we can make really, really clear decisions on everything we do from a tax point of view um, because we start at that headline rate. And the difference with other, say, a fund manager, they can't do that because they might have someone who's a pensioner, they might have someone who's a surgeon. So everyone's on different tax rates. So one decision might be great for one party, but not necessarily for the other, where when we make decisions inside our structure, we know it's great for every single person in there and every single person gets the benefit. And, and I can talk about some things like buybacks and stuff like that, but I don't want to get too technical today, but just on how you know those things work really effectively inside our fund where they might necessarily work for some other investors. So it's one of the big advantages that we have is knowing that starting tax rate and what we can do from there. It's a massive advantage and I'm really pleased that you did dig into that a little bit for those that, um, if you like, are interested to kind of get to that level because it's a really key point. Just in terms of the way they operate, um, I know there's a couple of rules. So can you explain for me the 125% rule? Yeah, sure. So like superannuation, you've you've got certain rules and how much you can put in and and all that sort of stuff. And and one of the rules that we we have is the 125% rule, or we call it opportunity. So um, just say in the first year that you took out an investment bond, you might put $10,000 and you've invested into whatever strategy that you choose between you and your advisor. Um, and then the next year, you can put in a maximum of 125% of that. So you can obviously put in $12,500 in the following year. Um, there's no limit on that. So if you start with a million dollars, you can then put in $1.25 million the following year and so on. And that, that can grow quite materially over time. And, and the reason that um, that rule is actually in place is because once you hit the 10-year point with an investment bond, if you take anything outside of the structure – there is zero to declare on a tax return, regardless of how much money you've made. So they don't want to see people putting in a dollar on day one and then putting in, I don't know, $10 million at 9.9 years and then all of a sudden being in this tax-paid uh, or tax-free environment from years 10 onwards. So they just try and cap it a little bit by, by doing that so people don't, I guess, abuse the structure, so to speak. And if you don't put money in in any given year? So if you don't put money in any given year, obviously 125% of zero is zero. So you can't continue to add to that particular investment bond. But there's zero stopping you from starting, starting another, another investment bond. And that's, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's what a lot of clients do. They, they might put a large capital amount in and then not add to it. They think, oh, I'd like to still invest in my bond. I can't put anything into the existing one because I haven't utilized any of that rule. Because you can put... You can put in 5%. It doesn't have to be the max. That's just the max, 125%. You can just start another investment bond and, and start to do the same thing. We actually have a lot of clients. So I forget the exact percentage, but it's quite high now that have a savings plan attached to their investment bond. So they might put, you know, forty dollars or $50,000 in initially, but they might add 500 or or $1,000 a month. And that just keeps that rule going forever too. So if they do receive a larger capital amount, they can put a little bit more in. They can start to grow that 125% 
um, opportunity and, and, and obviously continue to put more and more capital in over time if that's what they would like to do. But it's a really smart way to discipline your investing as well. So like to your point before on the education, the savings plan is a great idea because, you know, we spend money when it's in our account, but if it's not in our account, we usually don't make those, you know, impulsive, you know, you know, decisions where we go out and just choose to buy something that we don't really need. So the savings plan is a great idea to be able to continue to get, but keep that 125% rule going. So you grow your investment bond, the compounding effect of that, um, and obviously just the discipline of investing full stop. And you touched on the fact that um, if you hold the bond for 10 years, I do just want to pick up your point because I think it's a key mm. one. Um, after yep. that time, should you choose to withdraw part of or all of that bond, there is no tax payable. That's right. It's, um, it's, it doesn't matter if you're earning a million bucks a year and your bond's worth 10 million bucks and you made $5 million over the course of that $10 million in that bond. If you take that money out in year 11, you do not declare anything to the ATO. There's nothing to put on your tax return at zero. It's that, that the money that it's valued at that particular asset on that day that you take out, you put into your bank account and that is it. You can spend it as you wish. Um, the other, I guess, other side of that as well, people probably ask the question, well, what happens inside 10 years? Um, inside 10 years, if you choose to take, say, a, we have some people that, you know, might need liquidity and want to access some of their bonds, and I'll use some round numbers here. But if you had a bond that was worth $100,000 and it grew to $120,000 and you think, God, oh, I'd like to take that $20,000 worth of growth that I've had or, you know, um, income that's been generated inside that particular asset and you, you take that out at year five, the way the ATO looks at it, they always look at it in a couple of ways. They, one is they go, well, we always look at you know parts of that as capital and parts of it as income. So the majority of that 20000 that you took out, the ATO would go because it's proportion, right? So if that 120000 I'm getting a little bit technical here, and we divide that 120000 into six different parts, the ATO would look at that $20,000 distribution inside 10 years as five parts capital. So they would go, oh, okay, so, you know, $16,000, $17,000 of that or whatever is actually capital, so that's not taxable. And then that three or $4,000 of income that they would look at, which you need to declare on your tax return at that particular point in time, always receives a full 30% offset, tax offset. Okay. So... Yeah, so so say so say it's three thousand dollars, just under a thousand dollars of that you don't even declare. So it's two thousand one hundred dollars or whatever um, it is uh, will will actually be the only taxable component of that twenty thousand dollars. Now it probably confused people a little bit there, but my point is, it's very tax effective inside ten years, particularly if you're taking a partial withdrawal, because regardless of that internal. Um, tax rate that we're paying because we're an after-tax paying structure where we were talking before mm-hmm. it's in the mid-teens. That does not matter, your tax that you've been paying there. You always receive a full 30% tax offset if you withdraw inside 10 years. That's just part of the tax rules as well. So, And we do all that analysis at Gem Life. So before people make any decisions, we sit down with our technical team given their bond and their situation and we talk to the advisor, the investor, and we go, this is the way this would look. What are your thoughts? Great, that's fantastic. Didn't realise the tax liability would be so small taking out that that amount. So, so you've got full liquidity, and you've also got tax incentives to to withdraw money inside ten years 
that are beneficial. It's just that after 10 years, those tax benefits are, are, are better again. Yeah, so whilst it's preferable to hold it to the 10 years or longer, it's really still very, very um, tax advantaged prior to that. So that's um, great that you've explained that. Exactly. And, and that's just the tax component too. A, a lot of people um, get an investment bond because of the ancillary benefits, whether it's the credit or protection or they did it for estate planning um, purposes. So there's always other reasons that they might be doing it. So the, the whole you know advantages at 10 years don't really worry them too much because there is actually a different purpose or strategy driving the reason that they actually went through the structure. Yeah, it's... Um it's such a fascinating area to be digging into, Grant, because I think what people are probably picking up now is it's quite layered. Um, there's lots of things yeah. to bear in mind. Um, and also, I think what's been really good is to explore some of the different ways in which investment bonds can be incorporated as a valuable component yeah. of your overall wealth strategy. And for me, you know, where they're used in the right way, they can really afford those unique adva- advantages that you simply can't get elsewhere. Before we move on, is there anything else you want to kind of add or conclude on around investment bonds? I think the, the most important thing before we move into to the next section is that investment bonds isn't the silver bullet. It, it doesn't do every strategy right. You've got your strategy, whether it's you know your principal place of residence, you've got your superannuation, you might have an investment property. An investment bond forms part of that overall landscape. And even though there's just so many ancillary benefits um, that you can have with an investment bond, I always believe with a client, they should just start out looking at for one. What's what's my investment objective? Um, am I on a high marginal tax rate? Yeah, I am. So maybe I should be looking at this as part of my discretionary investment outside of my superannuation. Do I have an estate planning need? Yes, I do. Well, this can actually help and, and formulate you know part of that strategy as well. So, and, and then you know at the end of it, if I was a financial advisor, I'd say, well, we've set it up this strategy, but did you know it's credited protected? Did you know you can actually transfer it tax-free if you want to as well. Did you know you could do this? You know, that's the way I kind of look at it. So, Because otherwise it can become too overwhelming and too confusing. So I think not a silver bullet. It's, it's part of a holistic approach. What's the one key strategy you're looking for an investment bond? Use it for that. And then, you know, you just naturally got to get all these other ancillary benefits off the back of it and, and try not to, to confuse the messaging that way. Yeah, so it could be part of the overall solution, but the key there as well is, as you've pointed out, everyone's circumstances are different and that's where it is important to get advice because there may be some instances yep. where there may be a better um, approach or a better structure to be thinking about. Oh, and the one thing is, and I know we're about to move on, that I really love about investment bonds, um, one of the, the, the sort of taglines, I guess you could say, is that we always say, look, we're the most tax-effective um, solution outside of um, superannuation, but we're the most flexible structure full stop. So even if you set this up in the wrong you know, entity or you know, the, the wrong person, whatever it might be, one thing that you can do here is you can transfer it tax-free. So if you buy an investment property, you put it in a certain entity, it's growing, you think, geez, I wish I put it in this person's name or did it over here or I want to sell it. Of course, you're going to be paying the, the, the CGT on the, the sale of that asset and the person on the other side receiving it is going to be paying the stamp duty. That doesn't happen with an investment bond either. It doesn't matter how long you've held it for, whether it's last week or 20 years. If you want to transfer it across to another party or legal entity, you can do that. And all the benefits that you've built over time, all the growth that you've had over time and the face value of that asset stays exactly the same. So. The flexibility element of it's really, really important because sometimes you can set up assets. And I've got to admit, 
even in my sporting years, I was guilty of going, oh, I wish I put that in that structure or I wish I paid more tax and put it in my personal name. Um, you know, with this particular asset, you've got the flexibility to make that mistake but not have any consequences uh, uh, around it a lot of the time. So that flexibility component is a really important attribute of the bond too. And that's a question that we often do get asked and people um, are surprised by the answer that yet again, um, <laughs> you haven't you haven't blown it up. <laughs> it's fixable um, or changeable as your circumstances change over time and as, you know, relationships change over time and bits and pieces. So I think that's um, that's great again Correct. that you've, you've filled that in. Yeah. Okay, I'm aware that we're, um, we're nearly 50 minutes in and I think we could keep going on investment bonds, but I really, <laughs> if it's okay, I really would love to talk to you about goal setting. Um, you know, the whole reason for this podcast grant is what keeps me awake at night is the advice gap. So in Australia, you know, we know that the cost of advice because of increased regulation and compliance has gone up and up and up. And it became very, very evident to me in coronavirus where people were suddenly thrown into a really, really tough situation through no fault of their own. People who needed the help couldn't necessarily access it. And and that really... Uh, concerns me and I sat there and thought we cannot wait we just cannot wait for legislation to change and for government to catch up with this and that's why I started to do this podcast it's really a community piece to find a place where we could provide reliable easy to understand information and get people if you like if they can't necessarily have a financial planner today how do we help them with general information start to build a financial plan because I'm a believer that everyone needs a financial plan they may not need a financial planner yet but they should have a financial plan and that starts with oh. goals and objectives <laughs> oh it, it, it well it's one of the big things that, that, that kills me just on the and i'll talk about the legislation side in a sec but everyone goes oh why would i need a financial advisor why why would i need a life coach why would i need this and, and my response is well did usain bolt have a coach does tiger woods have a coach exactly <laughs> you know what i mean like all the does lebron james have a coach all the people who are the very best have a coach, have guidance, have plan, have a strategy. And it should be no difference to, to your finances because it's one of the most important aspects of your overall well-being is to make sure that's insured and you can have a great retirement and you can enjoy your life and not have to worry about this stuff or put additional you know stress or pressure on a relationship because of all of that because it's so important. And, and look, I, I, the, the Royal Commission had its place in the sense that like any industry, you know, there's going to be people out there that are going to be poor accountants or poor lawyers or, you know, give poor advice. And, and that's going to happen anywhere. Um, there's going to be doctors out there that don't do the right thing and get surgeries wrong. There's, you know, there's always going to be people that are going to be incompetent in any field. And financial advice, of course, is no, no different. But why should that tarnish everyone else? And this is my big concern in the industry right now is that, People need financial advice more than ever. Like the co the complexity of the environment that we're operating in right now. Like people always talk about, you know, the cash rate. Geez, that can't go down any lower. And I say, well, yes, it can. They go, what do you mean? Well, it can go into negative. Negative. Yeah. I, was, I, I was doing a capital raise in Europe a couple of years ago, and I was talking to one of the, the bankers over there, and someone had ten million dollars sitting in their bank account, paying seventy basis points or point seven of a percent have that money in there and if the bank lent to them they were going to pay them 0.4% or 40 basis points to lend to them. I said I said, we're, we're navigating through an environment that we've never been through. Mm -hmm. We've got a baby boom the population that it's got two key things that they're going to incur for the vast majority of that group. 
One is sequencing risk, and people don't understand that what that means. But just think back in March 2020 when markets were collapsing and you know going down you know six, seven, eight percent through the day, and we saw six of the top 20 worst collapses in a single day over a period of I think of 90 years. What's happening to your superannuation and your investments then? So you've got sequency risk where things just fall off a cliff. Mm-hmm. And we've had it too good for too long in this country. We've had a phenomenal run, which has been great. And the other aspect, too, is longevity risk. You are going to outlive your savings. So there's no good getting to, you know, 92 and, and you know, opening up a can of baked beans and think, geez, I'll eat half now and half for dinner. And, and and it's a really scary proposition and, and it puts people in a really precarious position because when you go into retirement, you don't want to be feeling like, I'm not going to spend any money. And exactly. you should be enjoying those years. You've, you've yeah. worked so hard yeah. your whole life. Your kids are growing up and you can't do that. So I get scared when I see less financial advisors out there because of you know the, the amount of rigmarole and risk and compliance. And those are things that, don't get me wrong, are very important but stop them servicing clients that really need financial advice. And that's the big thing that kills me because um, there, there's a lot of people out there that will struggle that wouldn't be struggle if they received good coaching, good direction and good advice. Well, we're singing from the same hymn book for sure. And I think it is worth acknowledging that the changes in legislation and regulations were well intended, but like many things, you know, there's unintended consequences. And unfortunately, that is the one that we're going through at the moment. And hopefully there's some very passionate advisors around that are trying to um, find ways that we can um, make some changes that will mean that it's still absolutely safe um, for consumers, but to increase accessibility um, and reduce the cost of... um, um, delivering advice so. and make financial advice an aspiring career because you know you know dealing with people's money and lives and all that sort of stuff well you know i, I want to see that you know put up in flashing lights like people should be like you know to, to to be a lawyer to be a doctor to be a financial advisor like you're steering someone's financial life and well-being and like you said there's the whole psych behavioral psychology around that too like it's a, it's a really important part of um, the overall social welfare of any country. So for me, I, I would like to think, yes, the legislation, to your point, is absolutely well intended and in trying to weed out the people that don't do the right thing and do break the rules. And we do hear the horror stories, but you want to see it as a career that people, you know, could put up in high esteem and should be striving for and actually helping, you know, fellow Australians or, or anybody out for that fact. And, that's the term that I think, you know, both you and I, Julia, we want to see because it's just such an, an important part um, of people's ability to be able to access financial advice at a reasonable cost and get the right guidance that they, they deserve. And I heard a really good expression the other day, is the glass half full or is the glass half empty? But, you know, either way, the glass is fillable. And I, I, I choose, I've, I've choose to not give up. Like, I love what I do as a mm. profession. I feel privileged to do what I do every day. And I do some mm. guest lecturing at Curtin and some of my other peers as well. And we try and give our uh, time to the next generation to get them to see that, yes, it is very difficult to meet the educational requirements and there are some challenges. But if you can look through that, if you can get past that, you know, this is some of the mm. most rewarding work you could ever, you know, choose to do. Um, but um, that's just my perspective on it anyway. No, I totally agree with you. And, and, and I think it has been perceived like that. But as usual, there's always a few bad apples that have kind of created. No, I, I don't say a bad reputation for the industry full stop. There's just been, you know, some bad case studies that came out, you know, through the Royal Commission that, that everybody heard about. But at the end of the day, I think, 
you know, the vast majority are competent, well-intended and want to do the right thing and want to actually help and support people. And it's a really important aspect of society is to have people out there that actually provide financial advice for people going through the various life stages. Like we said about, this, you know, around the start of this conversation, all those key transitions. I mean, how badly do you need financial advice through a divorce, buying your first house, Going into retirement, I mean, the finances around all of that is a critical part. And if we have less people going into that, that industry, that is not good for the average Australian. It's not. And it's it's a big challenge. It's a wall to climb, but we're determined to get over it, Grant. So, you know, client by client. Oh, we'll, we'll, keep, we'll, keep, <laughs> we'll, keep, we'll keep supporting and advocating it and driving it. And, and, you know, we're not the only ones that understand the importance of that. And look, the, the wheel always does a full circle. So Doesn't I'm sure it? Yeah, we'll that's come true. Back, but that's true. It's really, really important to recognise it in the in the meantime and, and to fight for, I don't know, the, the things that you believe in, I guess. That's exactly right. And the starting point for financial planning is thinking about what are your goals and objectives. And something I often observe is people often make the mistake of thinking too short term. So they might be thinking mm. three, six months or one year around money as opposed to yeah, short term's important, but also have your eye on medium and long term. But just drawing mm. on your experience from your swimming career, um, what would your your suggestions or tips be for people around goal setting? Really funny. I, I actually have probably two tips on this. One one on the you know goal setting side and and how to work towards that, and the other one on the the financial side that I actually did when I was um, swimming. So just on on goal setting, um, to be totally honest, I was really fortunate. My I was sitting there watching Kieran Perkins break the world record for the 1500 meter freestyle, which was like a huge event here because it was our most number one gold medal event across any sport. So it had a huge profile, and here he was smashing his own world record once again. And I was 14 watching that, just in total awe. And I um, I turned to my mum. I happened to be sick, and I didn't go to school that day. And I, I legitimately was sick, but um, and I turned to her and I said, "Oh, I'm going to break that record one day." And mum said, mum looked at me and said, oh, I know you will. And it was really funny because, yeah. you know, most parents could say that, but my mum wasn't the sort of person that would say things and then she meant it. <laughs> she yeah. doesn't mince words. She's very, you know, she's quite straightforward to be honest for, the, for those of uh, the, the, the people that know her and, and the way she sort of steers the conversation. And, but I could sense that she really meant that. And, yeah. And it was really funny because from that point onwards, no one told me what to do, but I thought, well, if I really want to break that record, what have I got to do? And, I, and so I went up and, you know, I was kind of, like I said, I was at 14, I might have been there, 13, 14 at the time that that happened. And I researched Kieran Perkins' best times across every single event. And there was no Google, there was no internet. I was, this is early 90s sort of stuff. And I went through all the magazines and I found them all and I, and I wrote, his best times for 13 across 200, 400, 800, and 1500 meter freestyle events. Uh, you know, I did it for 14, for 15, 16, 17, and then you're in the open category. And then, fortunately enough, you know, the, the, the big thing that was happening in our country at the time was the steer towards the Sydney Olympics. So, mm. and then I had this goal um, where um, I remember, again, this was a separate conversation where someone said, Oh, you know, would you um, like to compete for the country? And I said, oh, I want to win the Sydney Olympics. Like, and I was, I was 13 at the time. I remember this conversation, and the person sort of, I don't know, um, bit tongue in cheek, kind of laughed at me, or you know, thought as, as if you know, I don't think you realise what you're saying. And and I, I never forgot that, and it's always stuck with me. So, you know, in the context of your question, I did have this really, really big goal. 
and I had people around me that believed in me, which was, you know, my mum at that mm-hmm. time when I turned to her and said that and felt her absolute sincerity and genuineness um, where she believed in me. And, um, and then I, I broke it down into digestible bits. And to give perspective of that, to, to, to go from that 13, 14-year-old kid to a 20-year-old kid to, to win at the Sydney Games, um, my best time at that particular point in time was 16 minutes, 45 seconds. Kieran just swam the world record in 14 minutes, 41. Right. So you're talking a 30-lap race of an Olympic-sized pool, and I'm basically, what, five laps behind. Um, so I am way away. You know, this is like someone wanting to be a millionaire and having $7.50 in their bank account. So but you had that, total that, self-belief. You had total self-belief, right? You, 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 were, you saw yeah. it, and you had that that, you know, unquestioned support um, from the important people around you. That is extraordinary. Mm. Yeah, and, and, and I think um, I saw someone else do it too, and he was a fellow Aussie, and I thought, well, he can do it. So, you know, we, we can do it. You know, it is actually possible. And that's why I point my mum out in that story, because you do need people and support around you. This is not a journey in any respects on, on any goal setting that you're trying to to ascertain or achieve or work towards, it's not on your own. And if it is, it's going to be a disaster. You always need that support. So, and every single year, don't get me wrong, I didn't always get all those goals. I emulated and beat most of those times, but I didn't always get to his rate of improvement, which was remarkable. But that goal setting gave me clarity. I, I would finish a season and I knew exactly what I needed to do next season. And then, you know, you've got the goals, but then you've got to have a plan. And then the plan comes back to the training sessions. Well, so I work with the coach on how many training sessions do I need to do? Um, how fast do I need to go within each of those training sessions to hit that eventual goal time across that distance? The dietitian, what should I be eating that's going to give me the right body? You know, it's one thing to try and build a Ferrari, but don't put diesel in it. What's, what's the rocket fuel that needs to go in there to drive it the best and optimize it? So, you know, you kind of put everything together in that plan and to, to try and meet those goals and you break them down into digestible bits. Then all of a sudden, one day, you're there. You're thinking, you know, by the time I got to you know, 17, I was swimming 14 minutes 51, which was 10 seconds off that world record. And then, you know, in 2001, I eventually went, 14 minutes 34 and broke that world record by seven seconds. Um, so you can do it no matter how far you are away. So the goal setting element to, to all of that is just so paramount. And I naturally did it because I was a real simple kid that didn't <laughs> think about it too much. I just thought, well, what did he do across the different ages to improve, to get to that, that remarkable position and, and that phenomenal time that he achieved on on that day and, and, and motivation is not easy motivation people get this really wrong too Julia this is the funniest thing because people go oh, how are you motivated to, to do that to go for so long to go four years in between Olympic cycles and I'm like I'm not at all like I'm not motivated at all like that's so hard and insurmountable when you put it like that motivation doesn't come first it comes second motivation comes out of doing so when you achieve something, you always feel that little bit better. Then you go, oh, cool, I can achieve the next little bit. And then I can, and that motivation, it comes out of momentum and actually, you know, achieving those little steps along the way and your motivation increases and snowballs and builds over time. And, and that's how your motivation develops. The, the, the motivation that people probably refer to is when the alarm clock goes up at 4.30 in the morning. That's just discipline. 
that's my motivation. That's just discipline to get out of bed because I always hated that part. So, yeah. and then the other element I did with my finances through my my career was, um, you know, you start doing financially well when you you, you get the opportunity to, to win out that scale and you get sponsorship and, and all those sorts of things. And I it's funny I, I I broke my finances down into the three box um, three buckets, which is probably relatively simple to you now. Um, and given your field and expertise and experience. But I was like, okay, my first bucket is, you know, my interest costs, my tax costs, my general bills costs. That's that bucket. Um, the, the next bucket was the investment bucket. So anything that I had in there would go into the investment bucket where I could buy, you know, another property or, or whatever it might be. And then the, then there would be a 10% breakdown. So I'd break these down into percentages which was a discretionary bucket, which was kind of like, well, do whatever you want. Like, if, yep. you know, yep. that bucket saves up and I can go out there and go on that holiday or do an impulsive spend, but don't do it outside of that bucket. And it was really good because it disciplined the way I, I, I approached my money up front. And I think that's where a lot of people go wrong with their goal setting around money. They, they do everything after the fact, but if you actually put processes in there proactively and set up structures, you actually don't, stuff it up too often um your likeliness for success increases exponentially so that was kind of my my financial you know sort of way of managing through that period as well i love it um and i think that's a great way to look at it and it's not dissimilar to how i talk about uh, goal setting and budgeting um earlier in the foundation series in the podcast um that was that was really really interesting i listened to the podcast that you did with um tim ferris and you talked about um you were interviewed together with your good friend michael phelps and you were talking about knowing your stats and knowing your numbers um is that part of it as well Oh, big time. Um, you know, the, the path of least resistance is when, you know, you know the direction you're going in and what milestones you have to hit along the way. I, I could I could probably sit here and go through Kieran Perkins' splits for every single 100 metres <laughs> wow. to the 1,500 metre freestyle world record. Yeah, no, I actually could. I, I'm thinking of them all right now yeah. in my head and, and could quite easily roll them off. So, um, if you want to get somewhere, you need to know exactly what are the what are the small little milestones that you need to hit and how often you need to hit them. So, yeah, for, for, for Michael and I, we were always very clear about times and training sessions, what our best sets were, you know, when we were having off days. Um, you know, it's the same in business now. I could, you know, roll out the sales numbers from probably, you know, to, to 10 weeks ago for, for the week almost. Like, I... The numbers to give you the insights into whatever you're trying to achieve, whether it's business, because people just see them as numbers and they're not that. They actually tell a story. There's a narration around them yes. and it's the same in sports. Mm. And, and you have to be very, very specific. Um, and when you're in the, the trouble with business, right? And this is what I always do with my, my leadership team. I, I always say I need a clear definition of success and failure because in business and in life, we often create too much gray as a part of our goal setting where you don't, but you need to know what is what is success and what is failure. And and, and, it's, and I'll use it sport because it's an easy analogy. Um, going to, to the Olympics, for me, success and failure was a really, really easy definition for yep. me to articulate. It was a gold medal or a silver medal. Mm-hmm. And that's how tight my range was of success and failure. For some people, it's a medal, so it's kind of three options. Some people, it's just making a final, so they got eight options. So you need to, to, to have absolute clarity on all that sort of stuff. And the best way to, I guess, 
you know, engineer things is to be very, very specific on where you're going and what you need to do to get there. And most things come back to numbers and particularly in a sport like swimming or running and things like that. If you don't know your numbers and your stats and your breakdown and where you're going and where you've been, you're pretty much just doing everything blindly and your finances are exactly the same. If you don't know your net position after your tax, what you're paying in tax, what's going into superannuation, what's this, you're not going to reach your goals. And most people, let's be honest, don't have the time to do that. And that's why I always say it's so important to have a financial advisor Mm -hmm. because you get them to tell you, and trust me, it's worth every dollar in spending that because they'll do it right for you and you won't stuff up your structures and and you'll maximize your overall financial position and you'll work together on a really simple goal. And they'll make it simple for you too. I know I spoke about those three buckets a a second ago, but that's literally what you want to do as part of your financial advice is make it so simple to execute and to do day to day that it doesn't feel arduous in any way and, and, and you'll get the most effective outcome. I agree. And what I often find is that people really underestimate what they're capable of and how the numbers work and how the numbers compound. Um, so that's, oh. that's always a brilliant part of it. I love it when we get to the projections with clients, but we're, we are running out of time, but I do just want to um, ask you this one important question. The reality, reality of life is we're all going to hit obstacles along the way, you know, no matter who you are. Um, what do you believe are the critical success factors in getting through those challenging times? Oh, honesty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, for, for, for me, um, you know, it's no secret. I've had my ups and downs in life. I mean, when you have a public profile um, and everything's going great, people people put you on this God status that is way too big. You know, if you win an, an Olympics or an AFL grand final or something, people tell you you're way better than what you actually are. You're just really good at something. And that's it. Stops and starts there. So... There's that, but then all of a sudden you go through a personal um, situation because people are so interested in your life more broadly. And, you know, naturally things through life are going to go bad. You're going to go through, you know, for me it was a very public divorce and, and, and all the things that sort of fell off the back of that. I didn't know how to manage it. So, mm. and, and the trouble I had was everyone thought I was like a gladiator. Like I always pushed through everything. I was an endurance athlete, got You're the outcome. Human. Mm. Yeah, but, mm. but and, and so I didn't treat myself as human and I wasn't honest mm. with myself that I, I should have got the help and the support. And, and it's the same talking about financials, you know, if you're not going well, get help and support and, and around that. But I think the um, the things that I've been through, and I'm actually really fortunate upon reflection now that those things I went through many years ago were so public because it made me just check in with myself like 100%, like, what drives me? What makes me tick? What people are good for me? What people are bad for me? What are my weaknesses? What are my strengths? So I think if you can actually take a full, you know, pulse check on yourself and, and who you are, and um, you listened to that, that Tim Ferriss uh, podcast that I did with Michael, and he said that thing um, on the billboard. He said, what would you put up there? And, I, and, I, and he said, just in a word or two, what would you put up there? And I said, oh, be you. Yeah. Just be you. And and, and honestly, I, I just got back to doing things that really aligned to my value set and make me feel more like me because, you know, I do things full on. And people go, don't do things so full on. Don't try and be so extreme or set big goals. And I'm like, I tried to do that once. It was the most destabilizing thing for my personality ever because it's not who I am. It's not the way I naturally like to operate. So. Mm-hmm. You know, getting back and doing things and, and getting back to, to the things that matter 
um, were really important. And removing the stuff that I thought was actually important um, was a real key component to, to that. And, you know, I'm a very family value, um, family value sort of orientated person. And, you know, for me, all I care about is having a purpose and coming home and playing with my one-year-old son, Eddie, you know, seeing my twins. Um, I've got an amazing wife and, and those are the things that actually count to me. So I just do more things that make me feel like me. And when you're going through those hard times, um, the biggest thing, the biggest piece of advice I can ever give is make sure you learn the lessons. Otherwise, yeah. you go through them again and again until you get the lesson. And, and it took me a while to, to, to get that growth in many respects. I, I had it really good on one side of life and on the other side, I, I didn't. And, um, the most important aspect you can ever have or characteristic is humility because it can be going great one second, but the next day it can be storming. So um, humility is a really important thing to, to have at the forefront of everything you're doing. And I have to confess, um, when I was listening to that podcast and you talked about that realisation to just be you, um, you know, I was thinking about how was I going to approach this podcast interviewing one of my childhood heroes, um, somewhat an intimidating um, thing that I felt I needed to rise up to. But I thought, no, I'm just going to be me and um, and run with that. Um, the other thing is um, I had a really sharp reminder I just shared with you yesterday of how life can change on a dime. I'd been out in the wheat belt presenting at a conference, ironically, um, talking about what are the uh, the bare bones that people should really understand. And one of the things we were talking about is, you know, if something happened to you or your partner, if you became seriously unwell or injured or had a TPD event or died, what would happen? Are you protected? Um, and driving mm. home about 60 k's out of Perth yesterday, um, had three trucks in the left lane. I was in the right lane with two motorbikes in front of me and there was no speed involved. Um, no one was doing anything crazy. And then out of the blue, the motorbike in front of me started to swerve, um, lost control and they collided. And these um, two guys had um, an unbelievable crash um, and it was bodies flying, it was yeah. bikes flying. I was in my brain, I've never been in a situation like that before. So you, you kind of think, I wonder how I would react, um, but managed to stop in time, um, just in time. I was I was looking at the ditch to the right going, am I going to have to take the ditch? Um, the, the truck next to me, you know, there was just black smoke off, off, off the brakes. Um, fortunately, uh, one of the guys miraculously walked away. I have no idea how. Um, and the other gentleman, unfortunately, was severely injured, but the truck driver managed to stop a metre away from this guy. Um, so being away from Perth, we were dealing with emergency services and waiting for the chopper to come. Um, a bit of a shout-out to our emergency services workers, actually. They were amazing. Um, but it was yeah. just this whole piece of, my goodness, just in a, in a split second, um, you know, oh, things, things can happen. They, they can. They, they change them. Like you, you, you can walk out the door and life can change completely. I mean, you, as you were saying that, it reminded me of my, my uncle who, who passed away um, quite some time ago now. But, you know, he used to be a captain at Answer. He used to fly 747s around the world. And then you know, that collapsed and he flew for Royal Brunei and he couldn't remember driving home, how to get home. And, um, and my, my, my auntie goes, you're not going back to fly. You know, you couldn't remember how to get home last night. And anyway, he went to the doctor and he had a tumor the size of three golf balls sitting in the middle of his brain. Wow. And he's one of the most intelligent, brilliant people that I knew. And you just think, you know, that can happen to any one of us. You never think it's going to. But if you're not prepared, and, and very fortunate, he had everything set up for his family, but that could have, 
been a horrific, you know, situation. He had three months to, to, to live. Uh, he fortunately lived 18 months. He was, he was very lucky to, to get that amount of time with his family left. But there, there is just, you know, situations where life can just change. And, and, and if you're not prepared for it, mm. you know, it's already devastating enough. But the extent of the devastation and, and how that could be magnified, like, is one less thing I, you I need to worry situation. about, isn't it? Like you, you, oh, you, you've still well, got to deal with all the grief and everything, but mm. yeah, oh, you, that, that, none of that stuff goes away. But you don't have to deal with more that you could have proactively. Like I, I'll be honest, I've, I've got you know different supers. I'll, I'll share my own personal experience, and, <laughs> yeah. and one of my supers I kept, but because of a legislative change, I've only got like less than six thousand dollars sitting in that super just because I wanted to pay for this particular life insurance because it's at such a good price and it got turned off and I didn't get a notification that it was turned off because the government changed legislation that yeah. if you're paying for insurances uh, under balances of 6000 it turned off. I was furious, like furious because it formed part of you know my overall financial landscape and I've got a financial advisor with other life insurance so you know my family would have been okay but it was a specific, you know, I, I come from now as a situation where I've had a divorce, I've got a, a wife with a, with a new child, so I've got to make sure that everyone looked after and, you know, that formed a component of that overall landscape. And I was so upset, you know, because I thought of the effect that could have on my family and the people that I love so much if that wasn't done. They fortunately reinstated it and, and Everything was okay, but yeah, to to your point, that that sort of stuff it just matters so it matters so much. You don't need it until you need it. It's really one of those situations, isn't it? And and your experience yeah. with that loss of that insurance, you're not alone. And I expect that there are a yeah. lot of people who have lost insurance and are not even aware due to the change of legislation. Yeah. So um, maybe that's a takeout for everyone. Go away and have a look at what cover you do have um, and maybe get some advice Correct. around what do you need, um, how does it work, how can you fund it, all of those different things. Um, it, yeah. You know, I think it is um, undoubtedly through those most challenging times in life that we do grow the most, most and we gain new experiences. Um, just a, maybe some final thoughts. And I've, in my mind, I'm, I'm ever mindful of whilst Australia is coming through coronavirus incredibly well, there are still some real pockets of pain and people that are hurting mm. out there, small business owners, people through no fault of their own, you know, their lives have been turned upside down. Um, any, any sort of anything you'd like to sort of say about that? Look, there's nothing that you can really say in words where except you just feel for those people so much and your heart goes out for them and you can't imagine what they're going through. But the thing is, what you've always got to remember, the status quo never remains the same. Things do change and if you persist and you remain resilient and you put one foot in front of the other and you keep trying, the only time it all stops is when you give in. And if you don't give in, and you keep trying to find a new way to get there, you'll get there eventually. And, um, and and like you said before, Julia, like a big shout out to all the people that have done some amazing work in this place. I mean, this country's been through hell over the past 24 months. We've Isn't had bushfires, now mm. had floods, we've now had a pandemic, which obviously the, the, the whole world has been significantly impacted by. But, you know, to all those people that think, you know, that it can't get you know, much worse than this, um, it can turn around, it can get better. And you know what? Sometimes it doesn't feel like this. I've been through some hard times myself and I'm not comparing to the people that are going through challenging times that have lost businesses at the moment. But 
I know when I look back on my life now, the lessons that I learned about myself through those difficult times and how I navigated and pushed through them and, and what I learned about the people around me too and what, and what really matters in life have really stuck with me now. So there'll be some really good things eventually that'll come through it. That doesn't help when you're in the thick of it. You think, why the hell am I going through this and having to deal with this? But it does make you appreciate life once you move forward. And the only way it all goes wrong is if you give in. So you've just got to keep persisting and that's, it. that's the only way to keep moving forward. And it's on that reflection, isn't it, that, that those lessons come through. Um, Grant, I know, you're, Absolutely. Yeah, I know you're naturally a really private person. That might surprise people, but I do know that about you and, and I know you don't yeah. do any of these podcasts. So thank you for being so generous with your time today um, and for sharing your invaluable insights and um, being so open. It was so good to be able to share what I think is another dimension of you today that people may not be aware of. You are an extraordinary example of someone who excels no matter what and I think what you were just describing there you know no matter what life throws at you you choose to just keep putting one foot in front of the other any final thoughts and then we'll wind up absolutely no thank you and thank you so much for your kind words Julia it's really sweet of what what, what you said at the start and then so I really appreciate that and it's great to be on and uh Congratulations on everything that you and I know your team do. You guys have a, a remarkable reputation throughout the industry and there's a, a good reason for that. Thanks, Grant. It was an absolute honour and privilege to chat today. I really appreciate it. That was another episode of Good Money Habits, brought to you by Lighthouse Capital. A reminder that this episode was general in nature and doesn't take into account your personal objectives, financial situation or needs, and therefore may not be appropriate for you. It is recommended that you seek professional advice before making any significant financial decisions. If you want to find out more, this podcast is available on Apple Podcasts or head to www.lighthousecapital.com.au.